Now, our Bible reading this morning, of course, is taken from the book of Colossians, and we'll turn to Colossians chapter 2, and we'll commence the reading there at verse 6, Colossians 2. And we'll read just four verses, Colossians 2, 6 through to 10. Let's hear the word of God, reading, of course, as we've said often from the authorized version. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Now this morning, we are continuing with our series of expository sermons in the book of Colossians. And today my text is taken from Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. It reads as follows. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Now I've entitled this message, Beware of Man-Made Philosophies. I believe there's a close connection between Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7, and Colossians 2, verse 8. You see, Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7 is all about the Christian life and the walk of faith. And we spent two weeks dealing with that. Now the Apostle Paul is telling these believers at Colossae that in this walk of faith, as they make their spiritual pilgrimage, they are to be aware of spiritual counterfeiters who want to carry them away with their teaching, teaching that is not after Christ. If you think for a moment of counterfeit money, the man that counterfeits money doesn't present monopoly money to you. No, he wants to make his money that's counterfeit as genuine as possible. And then the person who's in receipt of this counterfeit money takes it to the shop. The shop assistant looks at it, uses their pen, maybe holds it up to the light and shakes their head and says it's fake money. Or if you take it to the bank, then the teller at the bank will say, well, they can't def detect the authenticating mark that it's genuine. And they're going to tell you it's fake money. They might even call the police and they might even have you uh, arrested. And you'll discover then that you've been taken in by the counterfeiter. However, this kind of spiritual counterfeiter peels into insignificance when you're taken in by a counterfeiter of Christ. Not a counterfeiter of money, but a counterfeiter of the Messiah. You see, you just don't lose your money or your time, or your reputation if you're arrested, but you're in danger of losing your precious immortal soul. Let remind you that Satan and his minions are master counterfeiters. And do you know that Satan can make religion and man-made philosophy look like the original gospel message? Make it just look as close and as possible to the gospel 
But the reality is that it's not. Jesus Christ will be mentioned. So will the Bible. They'll add other Christian terminology. Good works will be mentioned. Family values will be promoted and held up. Christian morality will be added. But at his heart, it is not the true gospel of Jesus Christ. At his heart, it presents a human way of salvation and denies the eternal sonship of Christ, denies his essential deity as God in the flesh, denies his vicarious blood atonement. And sadly, thousands of people all over the world who are following man-made religion and following humanistic philosophy, they think that they're on the road to heaven. They think that they're right. But the reality is, and regrettably, they're not on the road to heaven. They're on the road to hell. Now, that is exactly what the Christian community was battling with in Colossae. You see, the Colossian heresy was not totally anti-Christian. That would have been easy to detect, easy to refute and reject. The Colossian heresy was a blend of Greek thought and Jewish religion mixed together with Christian terms. Remember what we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and the uh, verse um, uh, 22. It says, For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. The Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. Jewish Religious leaders in the days of Christ were looking for a worldly, political, military Messiah to overthrow the Romans. And they were saying to Christ repeatedly, show us a sign. And the Greek world, who represents the non-religious world, they exalt the mind, they exalt human intellect, that they are dazzled by human intelligence. And here's two of the great enemies of Christ and the gospel. Human religion, it requires a sign, and humanistic philosophy, two great enemies of the true gospel of Christ. So in our text, Paul, conscious of that in his day, warns them about being taken captive in their walk of faith by these false teachers and their damnable heresies. And this instruction, this counsel is just as badly needed in our day and generation as in Paul's day. Why? Because the enemy is still very busy counterfeiting the true gospel of Christ and is still using to this day the twin enemies of humanistic religion, humanistic philosophy to lead many astray towards perdition. Now look at the text. There's four things in the text very quickly this morning. Colossians 2 verse 8. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. Notice the spiritual threat that's emphasized. Beware lest any man. Notice the first word. Beware. It speaks to us of danger. A postman delivering letters to a house will see a sign, beware of the dog, and he'll be alert and watchful for the little terrier dog or the big dog racing down the path to take a bite at him. Think of a walker. Maybe on the cliffs of the giant's causeway you'll see a sign, beware of falling rocks or beware of the edge. 
Or a walker who's rambling through the countryside may see a sign, beware of the bull. And through that sign, they'll be brought to their mind that they need to be watchful and alert, whether it's for falling rocks or for a bull. You see, the word beware is connected to the word or the verb to see, to take heed, to be spiritually alert, to be spiritually receptive. Paul has been very specific. Paul has been very plain here. Now, let me emphasize that this threat is real. In modern-day parlance, uh, this is connected to a military term. Threat levels can be fivefold. One, it could be low. Two, it could be moderate. Three, it could be substantial. Four, it could be severe. Five, it is critical. And if the government gives a critical level five to a threat then what they're saying is to the citizens of the country that the threat that they've talked about is about to happen. Not only is this threat real that Paul is emphasizing, this threat is regular. This is not a rare thing. This is a daily, regular threat that the people of God were facing. If you think of the verb, see to it. That would be a good way to emphasize the word beware. Open your eyes. Watch out. You're about to be spiritually plundered. This threat is not only real and regular, but this threat is riotous. See, the Apostle Paul adds another military image here. Look, look what he says. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. Now, Think of the word spoil. The word spoil literally means carry you off as a captive. The word spoil is sometimes used in relation to the spoils of war. You think of this treasure in a particular land. And that treasure, because that country has been invaded, now becomes the possession of the victor. And you could talk about the spoils of war or the spoils of victory. And the idea here behind this thought is an army invading another country. And of course, we're witnessing that today. The land of Ukraine, a sovereign, independent country, has been attacked by the uh, country of Russia. And the idea is that when that country attacks another country, it sends in bombs and soldiers and tanks. And of course, people are killed and people are captured. And in ancient time, people were taken off and carried away as slaves. And they became not only the silver, but they also became the spoils of war. And their houses and their possessions and their vineyards and their lands and their farms and their cattle all became spoils of war. And Paul was saying in a spiritual sense, see to it, you Colossians, that no one takes you captive and carries you off like a spoil of war. And we'll come to the technique in a moment through philosophy and vain deceit. You see, the thought is that these false teachers come with their false teaching and their aim is literally to spiritually kidnap professing Christians in the church. Not in a literal sense, 
but in a spiritual sense, kidnapping them by brainwashing them and convincing them and entrapping them to become part of their group. Now, brethren and sisters, if there was a real, regular, riotous threat happening in Paul's day, is there not an even greater danger that there's a real, regular, riotous threat in our day and generation? You think of the false cults this morning. Jehovah Witnesses, Seventh-day Adventists, the Mormons, Roman Catholicism. Think of false religion, apostate Protestantism, Roman Catholicism, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, Confucianism. Did you know that some of the world religious leaders and many of the false cult founders used to be found in the professing Church of Jesus Christ? And if you trace back the origin of these religious leaders and trace back the origin of some of these cults, you'll discover that their founders used to be part of the Church of Christ. They used to profess to be part of the Church of Christ. And then something happened. They were deceived. They were taken captive. They were spiritually plundered by an enemy. To the point that they were brainwashed and convinced that they were right. And the net result was a cult was formed. Or, or a new religion was formed. Or a new philosophy was embraced. You think of the false philosophies in our day. Atheism, not a new thing. King David said in Psalm 14 verse 1, The fool have said in his heart, there is no God. And of course, in David's day, there was people not only in rebellion to God, but denying the very existence of God. We could add in the false philosophy of hedonism, and the false philosophy of moral relativism, and the false philosophy of agnosticism, and the false philosophy of evolution and science, so-called. You see, there's what I'm saying, there's nothing new under the sun. And some who were proponents of whether it's false religion, false cults, or false philosophy used to be associated with the church of Christ in the past. And the Apostle Paul was well aware of being spiritually kidnapped. And he didn't want that to happen in Colossae. So he emphasizes the threat. He's saying to them, see to it. You look out on your journey of faith. In your walk with Christ, you watch for it. You be alert. It's so important because you're in danger every day of being spiritually kidnapped and carried off as a spoil of war. Let's remember, of course, who the enemy is. The enemy is Satan. The enemy is the world and the flesh. And of course, the devil today, I believe, is busy looking for every opportunity to spiritually kidnap and carry off professing Christians. We need to be alert. We need to be awake. Just like the postman's alert, beware of the dog. Or the walker's alert, beware of falling rocks. Or beware of the bull. We're all in spiritual danger of believing and being guided into believing another religious system or some philosophical system. Over there in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and the verse 3, the Apostle Paul says this. This is to the Corinthian church. But I fear, lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted 
from the simplicity that is in Christ. Minds corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So much so that they, they have gone from Christ to embrace the thinking and errors of another religious teacher, religious group, or humanistic philosophy. You see, this threat is not only real and regular and riotous, but, but it's akin to robbery. It's designed to rob us of the perfect righteousness of Christ. It's designed to rob us of the power of the blood atonement. It's designed to rob us of a full and free forever justification by faith. It's designed to rob us of full assurance of faith. It's designed to rob us of the joy and comfort of Christ in the gospel. Many are discouraged. Many are disillusioned today. Many are depressed. Many are dispirited. And you see, when somebody doesn't feel so good physically... And mentally, they're at a low ebb because of life's circumstances and life's pressures. At that point, they're vulnerable. And they need to be wide awake to the fact that God sees us in Christ. And God accepts us in Christ and in Christ alone. Don't be the devil's booty. The enemy only carries off what is valuable. Only what they count as treasure. Only what they can claim as a spoil of war. Paul's well aware that this threat level is critical. It's real. It can happen, is happening, and about to happen. There's the spiritual threat that he emphasized. Notice, secondly and quickly here, the spiritual technique that's explained. If you look at the text, it says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world. The word philosophy is only used here in the New Testament. This is the only reference in the whole of the Bible. The Apostle Paul was probably talking about the false teachers and using this term philosophy for their teaching and really saying that it's a lot of high-sounding nonsense. In other words, it sounds impressive. It promises a lot, but it's really empty and it's hollow. It's like empty hot air in a balloon. And he's saying, be careful that you're not carried away by such high-sounding sounds. Remember the threat. You could be brought captive and put under bondage by someone else's philosophy. And the word philosophy just means a lover of human wisdom. There's a historian called Flavius Josephus, and he said that this word philosophy relates to any elaborate system of thought and moral discipline in Paul's day. They call that philosophy. And we could talk about a religious philosophy, we could talk about a moral philosophy. We could talk about a scientific philosophy, atheistic philosophy. But we could also talk about a biblical philosophy. You see, I'm not going to go into all the different kinds or forms of philosophy today. Many examples could be set forth. But let me point out that there's many in our world, in the pulpits of the so-called broad house of Christendom, many in the universities by the name of professors, Many teachers in schools. And because of human religion, 
and humanistic philosophy, whatever that philosophy is, they have got a smart arrogance about their own abilities, intellect, and wisdom. And one of the things that they love to do, whether in the pulpit of apostate Protestantism, or in the university, or in the school, because of human religion and humanistic philosophy, they delight in opposing Bible-believing Christianity. They bring up their arguments against God's existence. They bring up their arguments against God's grace and love. They bring up their arguments against the Bible, against Jesus Christ, against heaven and hell, against the fact that we've got immortal souls. And I could give you loads of examples of a kind of philosophical religious arrogance that's abroad today. Let me just give you one. In 1985, there was a, a seminar produced called the Jesus Seminar. And it was founded and produced by a man called Robert Funk, F-U-N-K. And this was a review of the sayings and the deeds of Jesus Christ to determine which is or could be authentic and which would not be real or authentic. So they talked about the real historical Jesus and they talked about the made-up Jesus and they came to this conclusion in this seminar. 18% of the sayings of Christ were authentic. 16% of the deeds of Christ were real and authentic. And what were they doing? They were demoting Jesus Christ. This is what Robert Funk said. At least he was up front. At least he was honest. A Jesus who drops out of heaven, performs some magical act that frees human beings from the power of sin, rises from the dead, returns to heaven, listen to this, is no longer credible. And that's what Robert Funk believed. And he was up front and he was honest about it. At least we could detect it. But many of these false teachers, false cult leaders, they're not upfront and honest. They use trickery, they use skullduggery to replace the authority of God's word with proud human reasoning. Their own philosophical arguments. Now I believe, of course, there is a true Christian philosophy that centers in the personal work of Christ. But there's also a false humanistic philosophy. And it ignores Jesus Christ. It ignores Bible-believing Christianity. It ignores the authority of the Bible as the word of God. You see, it's all about, well, what they think and how they feel and what they hope is going to happen. But their thinking and feeling and hoping is all rooted in their own sinful, evil, wicked imaginations. And if I could say this this morning, that there's a lot of pulpits. And the people who preach there preach over the heads of the people. They use a lot of waffle. It's all pie in the sky. It could be likened to a balloon that's full of wind or hot air. And while there may be a noise, that's all there is. And notice what Paul says, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. Do you see the word vain there? It means empty. Empty deceit through philosophy and empty deceit. You 
See, we strive in Carried Off FPC to be Christ-centered. We, we, we strive to be Bible-based. I'm attempting to give you a solid exposition of the Word of God. I, I point you to the text and try to open up and say, here's the truth of these texts. And that's what you expect. And that's what many want. And that's why we have many who have come to the church and joined with us. And many online who have joined with us. Because that's what they want. They're, they're, they're tired of sermonettes. It was the late Dr. Paisley who said, sermonettes produces Christianettes. See, many pulpits have a wee talk, share a thought. But it's not a solid exposition of the word of God. That takes time. That takes effort. That means I spend time wrestling before the Lord in prayer, reading the commentaries, collating material, thinking over what people have written, and then trying to put it all together to come and preach it on a Sunday. This word philosophy has been in the mind. It simply, as I've said, means to be a lover of human wisdom. Beware lest any man spoil you through humanistic wisdom and empty deceit. You see, sadly, many handle God's wisdom. They've got their own humanistic wisdom and thinking. And we live in a day when many individuals don't know the truth of God's word. They're ignorant of the Bible. They don't read the scriptures for themselves. They don't study the word. And, and therefore, it's their easy prey to be fascinated by the false teacher and captivated by their wisdom. It's hollow, it's deceptive. Let me say also this morning here, you see, the false teachers at Colossae had three parts to their teaching. One, they said you need angels as a go-between between us and God. The angels, they argued, could meditate for us. They could act as mediators between us and God. You can't go to God directly. Here's people who want assurance. And they need to have assurance. And the, the false teachers were saying, well, that assurance is connected to the work and role of angels. And Paul's argument is, don't put angels in place of Christ. The Bible says, for there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Our assurance is in Christ and Christ alone. Another aspect of their teaching was, another part, was that they had this special knowledge. They had pearls of wisdom. They had dreams and visions that all appealed to the mind, the intellect, the understanding, the, the experience of knowledge. They were saying to the people, will, will you need this special wisdom? Not only do you need angels to help us to have assurance, but you need this special wisdom. And you know, if you join our group, we can impart it to you. But the Bible tells us, remember what the Bible says. Let's come to the scriptures. Let the Bible speak. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30. It says, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. See, Christ is made unto us. He is the wisdom of God. And then they added, of course, a, a third part, and that was Jewish ceremonies, days to be observed, circumcision, laws of Moses, dietary things. It was all after the traditions of men. And, and if we link it up here, what about Jewish traditions? What about the way our forefathers carried on their lives in Old Testament times? 
You see, the tradition of men. Tradition means handed down through the generations. And the key thing is this. What's the origin of these traditions? Where did the traditions originate? Did they originate with God? Or do they originate with man? See, this is not a reference to apostolic tradition. This is a reference to man-made humanistic tradition. Mankind says, do this and that. Other men say, don't do this and don't do that. And many this morning are spiritually in bondage. And Paul is saying to these Colossians, don't be taken captive, neither by humanistic philosophy and vain deceit, but don't be taken captive by the tradition of men. Remember the brains we read over there in Acts chapter 17 and in the verse 11. And the Bereans, were told, were more noble of they at Thessalonica. Why were they more noble? And the answer is given to us. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Why are so many easily deceived today? They don't read their Bible. They don't know the scriptures of truth. They're in ignorance when it comes to even basic doctrine. And they're easy filled. They're easy to see. Remember the Lord Jesus said there in uh, Mark uh, chapter 7 and then the verse 8. And he said this. Listen to these words. Mark 7 and verse 8. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandments of God, you hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups and many other such things do ye. Now, Paul adds one other thing. He talks about here after the rudiments of the world. Now, the word rudiments here has bothered many. It simply means elements. And it could be the physical elements. Or it could be non-physical elements. It basically means out of a row or series. You, you think of elementary sounds or elementary letters, A, B, C. Think of the basic elements of the universe. Think of the basic elements of knowledge. It could also mean the basic elementary spirits of the universe, angels and demons influencing heavenly bodies. And that's, of course, exactly what the Gnostics believed. That the angels and heavenly bodies influenced people as far as their lives were concerned. And see, Paul was saying, don't be carried away, taken booty by the rudiments of the world. Isn't there a lot of different heresies about today? Let, let me just stress one. Think about theistic evolution. God caused the Big Bang. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, the Bible tells us. But theistic evolutionists tell us, well, God caused the Big Bang. And then stood back and allowed the evolutionary process to take place over millions of years. So there was an atom. And then that atom eventually over time became a tadpole. And the tadpole became a frog. And the frog became a fish. And then the fish somehow was able to come onto the land and flap about for a while. And then the fish became a bird. And then the bird, well, it became a monkey. And the monkey became you and me. Oh, sorry, there was apes in between. But, that, but that's wrong. That's dangerous. That's heretical. Genesis 1 and 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
And we know how he created it. Six literal 24-hour days. And on the sixth day he made man high, took the dust of the ground, formed a human body, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And we go from a telescopic view of how the world was made to a microscopic view. And it just homes in on the sixth day. It homes in on man. Because man remembers an image bearer of God. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19 that God made them male and female. Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And how did he make them? Well, he didn't do it through an evolutionary process. It takes us back to Genesis 2. And you see, many are in darkness. And many are blind. If you think of a blind man for a moment, and he's in a, a black room, pitch blackness, no light, and he's looking for a black cat. See, that would be the picture, that many are in darkness. That's what it's like to be spiritually blind, pitch blackness, and you're trying to find a black cat. The scripture says, Isaiah 8 and 20, to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it's because there's no light in them. And sadly, many are waxing eloquent. They have high sounding, but it's all emptiness. 1 Corinthians 14 says, If the trumpet gives an uncertain sound, who shall arouse himself to war? And the first duty, the first responsibility of a minister of the gospel is to speak the gospel in a way that the people can understand it. And while I long and understand the desire for deeper teaching, whether it's on the surface or deeper teaching, that teaching must always be in full accord with the Word of God. The spiritual techniques that's explained. Notice, secondly, thirdly, and I'll be quick, the spiritual trap that's effective. He says here, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, you see, the devil uses humanistic religion and uses humanistic religion and humanistic reasoning to deceive and destroy people, not in their thousands, but in their tens of thousands. Let, let me give you one example. You've heard, perhaps, of the new perspective of Paul. This is pushed and emphasized by the Bishop of Durham, a man called Nicholas Thomas Wright. And he thought about the doctrine of justification by faith alone, and he said, well, what does Paul mean here? It's not about how you become a Christian. It's about whether or not you know, that ties into assurance, whether or not you know you're a member of the covenant community or, or a member of the new covenant family. So it's not about salvation. It has to do with about being a member of the church. And it sounds orthodox. And loads of people have fallen prey. And they think it's great. But I want to tell you this morning, it's a million miles from the doctrine of justification by faith alone. It's nothing to do with the fact that God's imputing Christ's righteousness to the account of the penitent believing sinner. That's not what Nicholas Tom Wright means when he talks about justification by faith. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he that is God 
had made him, that is Christ, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And over there in Paul's epistle to the Romans, and he was the man who was emphasizing greatly the doctrine of justification by faith, he said this in Romans chapter 3 and verse 24. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You see, I have no place and give no quarter to this new perspective in Paul. It's another gospel. And here's the point. Nicholas Thomas Wright wrote a book. I believe it was the grace of God in the gospel which expounded the doctrines of grace in 1972. And if I read it, I probably would have said it's a very good book. But now, many, many years later, he has moved and he has changed his opinion and produced this new perspective on Paul. Justification by faith alone is not about salvation. It's about being a member of the church and having assurance. That, that's heresy. It's wrong. The spiritual traps are effective. Humanistic religion, humanistic reasoning, and thousands are being led captive. One final thing. The spiritual test that's expounded. Notice the words in the end of the text. And not after Christ. See, there's the benchmark. The supremacy and the absolute sufficiency and centrality of Christ. You see, I've told you before a little sum. Christ plus something equals nothing. You add to Christ and you have nothing. Christ plus nothing else equals everything. False teachers wanted to sideline Christ. Wanted to, to leave Christ out. But here's the benchmark. Here's the spiritual test. What think ye of Christ? And that was what the late Charles Haddon Spurgeon in the 18th century came up with. Basing it on the teaching of the scriptures. What think ye of Christ, whose son is he? Is the only begotten son of God, born of the Virgin Mary, manifest in human flesh, who died a substitutionary atoning death on the tree? Christ is all you need. Christ not only accomplished salvation, but Christ by his spirit applies his redemptive work to all who put their faith and trust in him. If you think again of what true justification is, it's God himself imputing the righteousness of Christ to the account of the penitent, believing sinner. And the person who comes and says, Lord, I'm a great sinner. And I thank you for the knowledge that Jesus Christ is a great saviour. And calls on Christ for whosoever shall call in the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the test. What think ye of Christ? Here's it being expounded. Paul says, these false teachers are not after Christ. They've, they've left off the benchmark. They've left off the supremacy and the sufficiency and the centrality of Christ. And anything that leaves out Christ, and Christ alone, is not of God. And I pray this morning... That all who have heard me in the church and beyond in the internet will beware of man-made philosophy.
Let's heed the spiritual threat. Let's ponder the spiritual technique of the enemy. Let's think of the traps that they have set. And let's yearn for this test to be applied. Christ for me. Christ for me.